this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the common lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 34 to 41. It is the lectionary reading for the 21st Sunday after the Pentecost, also known as proper number 24 in the year B cycle of the lectionary. It happens to be the lectionary reading for October 17, 2021. After 37 chapters of Job, we come close to the end of this book. And what we find as we come to the end of this book is finally that God now speaks. And when God speaks, God makes this appearance uh, in some remarkable ways in chapter 38, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said. Now, two things to highlight just in verse 1. First, the Lord answered. Now, in your English Bible, you may notice the word Lord written in a capital L and then also a smaller capital L-O-R-D. Whenever the word Lord is written that way in your English translation of the Bible, that's indicating that that is the covenant name for God, Yahweh. It's called the Tetragrammaton. It's this four-letter word that's the name of God. It's the proper name of God, Yahweh. Throughout Job, in the middle section, after chapter 1, but all the way from chapter 2 through verse chapter 38, this word or name for God is not used. The more generic form of God in Hebrew, El or Elohim, is used rather than Yahweh. So this is the first time we've seen Yahweh back in the story since the very beginning. So the notion here is that it's communicating some personalness or some relationship together with Job. The second thing in verse 1 to notice is that it says that the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Now, the whirlwind is important because you might remember back in chapter 1, this is exactly how Job's seven sons died. They died in a whirlwind. And this is the first time we've seen that word since. The, the connection here is rich, that the, the, the God that was at work early in this story is now back and is ready to engage Job after all of his... Uh, complaint and argument and the engagement of his three friends as well. This whirlwind is used elsewhere in scripture. You might know it from the story about Elijah. You might know it from Moses at Mount Sinai. This appearance of God in a whirlwind has a name. It's called a theophany. A theophany is some appearance of the divine that we read about in the scripture. Uh, the pillar of light by day, the pillar of fire by night, or a pillar of smoke by day, the pillar of fire by night that we read about in the Exodus story. These are all theophanies, physical manifestations or appearances of God in the Bible. This whirlwind is one of them. When God makes this appearance in verse 38 in the whirlwind, we hear these words, who is this that darkens the divine plan? Such an interesting way to open this uh, dialogue that God is going to have with Job. Darkening the divine plan doesn't mean that somehow Job has messed up the sequence of things, like there's some ordained plan of God and Job has now messed it all up. No, the idea here is that the divine plan is not a sequence of events. The divine plan is more an order of things. So basically, Job's complaint is bringing an accusation against the divine order of things. Now, the divine order doesn't mean an 
a predestined order. We're going to separate that out later. But what we mean is that Job's accusation of why, why me, why has this happened to me, is all grounded as a real accusation against the order of all things. And we'll talk more about that later. He's accused of being a person who has words without knowledge. God is saying, Job, in a sense, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and this is not meant as an insult. This is more of a, just a statement of fact that Job has expressed his complaint in many words. But what God is indicating here in these early verses of chapter 38 is that Job actually doesn't have enough information to know what he's really talking about. It, it's not just a state of ignorance. It's actually more about understanding or nuance or even wisdom, words without knowledge. This is our first clue to how God is going to respond to Job. For Job, the issue is not what he knows about justice. And that's been his complaint all along, is that his suffering is unjust. Really, what Job doesn't know much about, apparently, is about power. And the language here in chapter 38 in Hebrew is very abrupt. It's commanding language. Uh, the language itself, the way it's rendered in its grammar, is almost designed to display a sense of power, even in how the text itself is written, beyond just the contents of the text. This is not the setting that Job imagined. You might remember last week's reading from Job 23, in which he hoped to press his case with God, to make his legal argument with God. His approach with God in Job 23, last week's text, was an approach to God as equal. And what this narrative in chapter 38 does is it commands power and authority from the outset. Even the sarcasm is rich here in verse 3. God says, now tighten the belt on your waist like a man, and I shall ask you, and you inform me. So the sarcasm is here is that somehow Job thinks he knows something that God doesn't know, and now he's going to inform God. Uh, the, the writer of Job just employs just a rich sense of sarcasm in this text that uh, somehow to display the disparity between Job's understanding of all things and God's understanding of all things. The writer uses this rich tool throughout this chapter to make this case. And it really helps us get in touch first with the key passageway that's here for us. And it's very simple. Remain in touch with what you don't know. Remain in touch with what you don't know. The, the quest we have within Western culture for knowledge and understanding can never fully answer the question of why. It might help us understand how things work, but certainly won't help us always understand why things work. So it's the wrong question, the question of why, and it's actually seeking a meaningless answer. God says to Job, words without knowledge. There's something about our ongoing posture of using words without knowledge, of constantly asking the wrong question and expecting an answer. And we do it both in seasons of abundance and we do it in seasons of suffering. But what we find is that we often ask the question why more in seasons of suffering than in seasons of abundance. And that in and of itself is telling about human nature. Job now begins to have a, a, a dawning reality, and the reality he's coming face to face with in these opening verses of chapter 38 is holding a tension, and the tension he's trying to hold and that God is introducing him to in this text is the tension of God's imminence 
and God's transcendence. These are theological words to describe how we can know God and yet not know God. Immanence, meaning the closeness of God or the immediacy of God, and transcendence, in other words, the total otherness of God, the the sense of who God is that we cannot connect to or relate to, cosmically unknown. For Christians, we kind of hold the same tension for ourselves. For those of us that try to wrestle with reconciling the human and divine nature of Jesus, uh, with it's hard to hold that tension because there's an imminence in His humanness, but there's a transcendence in His divinity. So, how do you hold that together? And this chapter is really going to get exploring a little bit about how we hold that tension. Job is confronted with God's response now in its fullness. And he lays out a series of accusations in verse 4 and onward in chapter 38. And the accusations are pretty simple. Were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Well, Job was not there for creation. Not only was he not there at the act of creation, he wasn't present to understand its intention or purpose. He's only experienced the fruit of creation. He's never been a part of the creation, much the less the purpose or intentionality behind it. So the question of why can only be answered at this foundational level that we have to know the intentionality and the purpose of all things that are created and have witnessed the creation itself in order to understand in the beginning of the answer to the question why. Without this, absent this, we can know very little about why. And Job now learns that his suffering is not about justice. It's not about justice at all. It's actually, and I'm going to be very careful how I say this, It's about God's power, but it's not about God's power the way we think it is. Sometimes, remember, we learned last week in Job 23, the fallback is just to say that God has destined me for suffering, and we capitulate to it. That's not the power we're talking about here. It has to do with God's power to hold all things, including Job. See, God's address is about the foundations of the world, the measurements that have been established. He even, uh, God makes reference in verse seven to the, the morning mourners sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Remember the sons of God who gathered in the court of God in Job chapter one? Well, here they are back. And what we learn here is that those stars in the sky really in some ways represent the, the, the stars of the sky represent the sons of God. It's a, a cosmic affirmation. See, Job is wrestling with a question that doesn't have an answer. And because of that, God's not going to respond to Job's question he's been making all along in this particular book. Remember, the book of Job is not designed to answer any questions about suffering. It's designed to help us ask the right questions. And here we begin to see the real questions emerge. Questions like, who am I? What is life's purpose? How shall I confront my own lack of understanding? How is God always my companion? What is power? Why can I not control my life? And that opens up the key passageway for us here. To remain connected to the God who holds all things. 
remain connected to the God who holds all things. Job begins to awaken to God's transcendent power and purpose. The things that terrified him in chapter 23, he now begins to understand that this infinite power of God is actually purposeful. We've all heard it said before, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's true in this text. It's a reorienting reality. It's not about what you know about how things are supposed to work and what fairness and justice are. No, no. It's about who you know, that God is the God who holds all these things, that life's real questions are not self-absorbed with our own well-being. The real questions of life circulate around purpose, meaningfulness, integrity, humility. These words keep us connected to God as healer and companion, not judge. So it really comes down to at the end of this particular chapter in verse uh, verses uh, 34 to 41 of chapter 38, that we begin to understand even more God's great power. So the question here is, what is more powerful, the creation itself or the created order? And, and let me unpack that a little bit. In the opening verses of chapter 38, God's creation is spoken of at length. You know, God talks about how I laid the foundations of the earth in this dialogue. I established its measurements, so on and so forth. See, what's hiding in plain sight in all of that is that there's an order to things. That's the plan that is referenced in verse 2. The plan isn't a foreordained set of events and circumstances about every human life. Oh, no. The plan is actually the order of things, and free will and agency are a part of that plan. God says, I laid the foundations of the earth. The foundations of the earth is a, an important idiom in terms of how the, uh, the ancient people believed the world was constituted or ordered, if you will. Uh, they believed that the earth was built upon water and that there were p pillars set into that water and there was a platform built on top of those pillars and that's the the earth that's the surface that we now live in that those pillars that are in water that hold up the surface of the earth are fixed into something even below the water that is the foundation of the earth in other words the earth is a platform it sets on pillars in water that sit on a solid foundation somewhere and so the ancients believed this way in which the world worked was, was, uh, was grounded by the capacity of God to establish the power that sustained and held up all things that are in existence. So when we get to the end of the chapter, it's no wonder in verses 34 to 41 that we read about these systems that no human can control, like meteorological signs, clouds, lightning, rain, uh, about the process by which dust hardens into a mass and clods to one's shoes. What is it that makes that happen? And then the natural order of things, how lions feed and ravens and all of these things happen. So the question then comes up for us is, which is greater, to create all that or to create an order for all that? Is it harder to create or is it harder to create something that is self-perpetuating and sustaining? See, Job begins to understand that the created order 
and the contents of that created order are expressions of God's power. What Job doesn't see yet is that that great power manifests itself in love. And that's our key passageway as we end chapter 38. God sustains all things for the sake of love. See, the mighty hand of God is displayed in all of the cosmos, and it's displayed not for our benefit. It is a witness of God's great power. Remember, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, that Job wants to engage the God of justice, and God's response to him is, I am a God of power. And God's great power is aligned toward love and giving. They witness that greatness. God's order includes life. It also includes death. It also includes suffering. It includes pleasure. It includes joy. It includes all those things. And many of the ills that we experience as human beings are amplified by us, in us, and through us because of our sin. God's intent is to love. And the same thing that destroys can also be made to love. So the issue here isn't why. The issue isn't why is this suffering happening to me. At issue here is this. What meaning our lives have if God is love and that all of God's might and power and infinite authority are aligned for the purpose of love, grace, and companionship. That we will talk about more next week. So that's it for this week. Many thanks to the Reverend Dr. George Ed Bennett and the congregation at First UMC, First United Methodist Church of Lodi. They are using uh, passages as part of their sermon series on the book of Job. And so the congregation is listening to passages during the week and then hearing a sermon on Sunday from Pastor George. I hope you're blessed by passages as you prepare to receive the sermon this Sunday. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.